0: politicians speaking out or disagreeing with their own party it's not something that we see very often for some people it can be shocking quite frankly i'd rather see more of it hello my name is brian Lilly, and this is the full comment podcast today we're going to be speaking with a member of parliament for mount royal it's a long-standing riding in the montreal area long held by the liberals but this mp anthony house father has been speaking out against his own party on some but not all key issues does that make him a Dissident liberal? Is he a liberal at all? Is he someone who's going to cross the floor? Is he brave for doing so, as some have said, or is he weak? Is he, you know, showing a a weakness by staying within a party that is it disagrees with on language issues or on the issue of Israel and how the Trudeau government is responding to it? That's the conversation today with liberal MP, Anthony Housefather. Anthony, I'm assuming the last few months have been a a difficult time uh, that you weren't expecting. Um, Talking about uh, Israel and the Jewish community in Canada is not exactly why you got into federal politics, but tell me what it's been like the last little while.
1: It's been very difficult. I think that the same way that Israelis were traumatized by what happened on October the 7th when a pogrom was launched by Hamas on, on Israel, I think the vast majority of Jewish Canadians were also traumatized because of our close ties to Israel. It's our biblical homeland. Uh, Many of us have friends or or even family members that live there. Uh, Most of us have visited there. Um, And there is is that close connection between most Jews in the world and Israel. So I think we were traumatized by that. And I think we were then traumatized again by the crazy wave of anti-Semitism that swept across the Western world um, after October the 7th. I don't think most Jewish Canadians ever thought we would see something like this in our lifetime. Um, and spending as much time as I've had to spend on fighting anti Semitism in Canada has been uh, quite a shock.
0: Yeah. It, I, when I said that it's not why you got into federal politics, I say that knowing that your Jewish identity is a big part of you. Um, but you got into federal politics for other reasons. And this has, I'm going to guess, become almost all-consuming because I know for myself in the news business and, you know, a man who's not Jewish, this has taken up a lot of time looking at it, being shocked by it from the very first protest that I went to on that Thanksgiving weekend and watching in horror what was being said on the streets of Toronto um, never mind the neighborhoods I in places I used to live in, in in Montreal. the things that I was seeing were deeply disturbing.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean I think it has been all consuming. It's uh, something that is, is difficult for most Canadians to relate to to how much Jewish Canadians have been completely consumed with an issue that many Canadians care about but aren't thinking about 24 hours a day seven days a week whereas I would say the majority of Jewish people I know are thinking about this, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, um, and talking about it to one another. And 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 we've been you know very gratified by allies like yourself who are not Jewish who have taken the time to support us. Um you know I, I Warren Kinsella, I can I can even number of people um that, that 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 have done that and you know and from the political side people like Marco Mendocino, uh people like Michelle Rempel. Um, there, there, you know, there. People like Stephen Lecce in Ontario, like there are a lot of people who are not Jewish who have been great at it. Kevin Vuong in Toronto, who's an independent. Um, you know, like, like, like again, people from all sides have have come forward that that have been gratifying. But I think the Jewish community has been scared. Um, I think I think it, it was shocked, scared, um, feeling frustrated that that people aren't hearing how concerned we actually are about it. And so, Brian, like we, we're both English-speaking Quebecers. You're right. When I went into politics, my issue with minority rights was always my concern about language rights in Quebec, my concern about protecting the English-speaking minority and all minorities in Quebec. And, and that was really what preoccupied me. I never really thought that the Jewish community in Canada would be the one that I would be spending all my time uh, worried about uh, over a period of time. But that, that has happened.
0: Uh, there's definitely an overlap between, um, English speaking minority and the Jewish community. I've long tried to explain to people without the Jewish community in Montreal, there would be no English language rights, but th- that's, that's a subject for later on. But y- you represent a riding Mount Royal that was previously represented by Erwin Kotler. Um, the great Irwin Kotler, I'll say, uh, in prior to that by the, the late prime minister Pierre Trudeau. It's about 30% Jewish. That's got to be one of the bit highest jewish uh, population ridings, if not the highest in canada um and it, for people that that don't know the community i mean in places like Cote saint luke you've got a lot of secular jews you've got a lot of different uh synagogues you've got people who are tangentially associated with the faith but also well you know it's their culture their heritage but you know they're not overly religious and then you've got the very religious communities it, it's wide it's diverse um but there seems to be unity on, on this front. You know, what's it, it, the old uh, saying? Uh, if you, if you want three opinions, put two Jews in a room. Uh, there seems to be unity on this.
1: Right. I, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I,
0: I think it was what you put
1: two Jews on, on a desert Island and, and they come and rescue them and they find there's two different synagogues. There's the one that I go to and the one that I would never go to. And uh, <laughs> the, the Jewish community usually has a lot of divisions, but certainly on this, there would be only a very insignificant fringe of the Jewish community that is not very, very concerned about anti-Semitism in Canada right now. And uh, and 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 the vast majority of the Jewish community is strongly supportive of Israel. So you're right. And you're right that my riding is about 30 percent Jewish. We're the second most Jewish riding in Canada after Thornhill in Ontario. That's represented by Melissa Lansman. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a very big part of, of our community. And the English speaking community is about 70 percent. Uh, you know, percent of my riding, um, and that of course uh, includes uh, uh, most of the Jewish community, but it in- includes others as well. And 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 we have many many minorities in this riding. And again, like I've always felt very comfortable representing all minorities and speaking out in Quebec against Quebec laws that that go against minority rights. Um, this, like, like Bill ninety six, Bill ninety six, Bill twenty one, uh, Bill forty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can go through a myriad of CAC laws that. That, that take away religious rights, take away language rights, take away uh, educational rights of the minority in Quebec. And, and, I've, and I've concentrated on that, uh, you know, over the years in parliament, as I have on, you know, on supporting Israel and Jewish issues, but it's a much lesser part of it. Now, in the last few months, it's been a much greater part of it. Um, you know, in addition to all the other normal things that an MP does, because none of my normal job goes away. It's just this gets added to it. and And, and when it's flared up, it's flared up not only for me, but for my 30% of constituents who are Jewish and for many of my other constituents, because of course, when you live in close proximity to large Jewish communities, many people who are not Jewish also feel very much part of that because their friends, relate, relatives, etc., are being consumed by it.
0: I think it was uh, September, or October 2000. Um, and you'll remember this and maybe you can correct the date. I remember there was a campaign of firebombings for English-speaking businesses. Uh, predominantly, it seemed Second Cups at the time. Um, the language zealots in Quebec decided Second Cup was too much of an English name, even though I believe on the outside in Montreal, they said Le Café Second Cup. Well, not French enough, and there were firebombings, and I remember how threatened I felt at that, and the people marching with their flags, with the Patriot flags, and um You know, seeing quotes in the Gazette uh, that Anglos are cockroaches to be exterminated. That was frightening. You experienced that. I'm sure you felt the same way I did then. Take me to the moment when you heard that after October 7th, there were synagogues and schools in your riding being firebombed.
1: Yeah, so the synagogue...
0: Or or shot at.
1: So the synagogue that was firebombed was on the West Island. But one of the schools, one of the two schools that was shot at was in my riding. It was Herzliya High School. Um, and then the JCC, the Jewish Community Council, in my riding was firebombed immediately after Rachel Diane, who represents the adjoining riding of Utrmal, and I had addressed um, a group of religious uh, community leaders in that building and they posted it on social media. The building was firebombed an hour and a half later. And, and that is exceptionally scary and and I have to say, Brian, I've never like I mean, I've often been attacked by by, by Quebec separatists. I've often been attacked uh, even by some of the French media. Certainly, when I voted against the language bill earlier this year and spoke out against the language bill, uh, and I was the only MP that did so, um, I, I I got you know lambasted in the Journal de Montréal and and certain more nationalist French French media. Um, I never felt that threatened. I never had the The personal threats, the actual hatred um, that I have had in the last few months uh, from an anti-Semitism perspective, or as a Jewish MP speaking out on behalf of Israel, like the threats have been much more serious. They've been much more obvious, um, much more repeated, um, and 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 I guess for the first time in my political life, and I've been in politics since my early twenties, I've been actually concerned about safety. Which, which I never was before
0: and, and uh, so I first met you in the early 2000s when you were with Alliance Quebec and you know the language wars at that time uh, I remember moving to Montreal and a friend saying don't worry the language wars have died down they're gone and then I moved there and you know everything I just described a moment ago happened and they were they were prevalent and they were heated and you were you were at the fore of that but you've been uh, you've been a liberal the entire time that I've known you and a very proud liberal. How does it feel right now? Everyone keeps talking about divisions in the party. It's a divided caucus. Uh, I think that's a bit of an understatement. Um, And we've seen the discussions around the, uh, the vote at the UN on the ceasefire, the discussions around South Africa and, and their attempt to take, um, Israel to the International Court of Justice. Does it feel like the same liberal party you, you joined 25 years ago? Have things changed? Are you feeling like your party's left you, or is there still a place for you?
1: It's a great question. I mean, you're constantly thinking of, uh, uh, of your political views and whether or not they align with that of the party that you're in. I mean, political parties are an unfortunate reality, in Canada, I mean, ideally, everybody would be independent, would vote how their constituents and they believed on every bill um, and everybody would work together and you wouldn't have parties that divided us. But I think in all systems, they've realized that political parties are reality. And and I don't think anybody aligns with every political party on every issue. So it's been abundantly clear in the last year when, when it came to the language bill in Quebec and, and, and my very strong belief that references to Quebec's charter, of the French language didn't belong in the Official Languages Act. Um, or recently, um, when it came to the UN vote, uh, that I that I have not agreed with my party, and I have, I have acted accordingly. I have spoken out um, and, and said that I don't agree. Um, but there's no other party that I necessarily agree with more on most issues, right? I I'm a liberal on most issues. I align with my party on most issues, but I don't align with them on all issues.
0: What's it been like internally then? Because um, I'd actually like to see more. This happened more often where an MP says, Well, I agree with my party 90% of the time, but I don't agree with them on this, so I can't vote with yeah. them on that. So, you know, I've had some people say to me, Well, you know, look how weak House Father is. Uh, well, you're still in the party. Have have they talked to you about discipline or kicking you out or anything like that? Because that's that's often what stops people from doing what you've done is someone from the party's whip's office comes by and says, Nice job you have here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it.
1: So, I, I mean, first of all, I have the self-confidence that that wouldn't work. I think my riding would elect <laughs> me however I ran in my riding. Um, and I don't, I don't think anybody would, 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 would presume that I'm elected only because I'm a member of the Liberal Party, um, in Mount Royal anyways. Um, but, but no, nobody's done that. And I think that's one of the strengths of the Liberal Party, right? I think the fact that we have diversity in the Liberal Party, The fact that we have different viewpoints, and that we're actually allowed to express them um, is a big strength. And I think that Canadian members of parliament often don't understand their own ability to influence events and to be strong. Um, We are far weaker than the UK MPs, and we're far weaker than American members of Congress. Um, We all have the same powers, we're all able to do and say what we want to say, and, and, and in fact vote how how we want to vote except on confidence bills and and, and on, on certain very important bills and and I, and I think that that it we would be a better system if all parties would be flexible enough to allow members of parliament to not be seen as weak because they don't always support their party but actually to see that as a strength and 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 I think that Canadian politics would be better served that people would work across party lines far more if if, if you had bipartisan multipartisan partisan agreements between parties. Um, and I've always tried to strive for that. Um, and, I, and I have a bit of an independent streak, and that's that's clear. But um, I, I think that, again, nobody should ever be expected to align perfectly with 100% of the views in the party, and nor should their constituents always be obliged to believe 100% in one party or another party. You've got to have the flexibility as an MP to speak for your constituents. You have to be your constituents representative in Ottawa, not the reverse. Um, and I've been actually kind of pleased at how my party has allowed me that flexibility
0: I, well and I you say that you know, you know there's great diversity within the L- Liberal Party perhaps but I will say that all parties in our Canadian system have been guilty of this tendency to crack the whip yes. and yes. and I'm if they're if they're not with you then that's good and we do need more of that you know I look at someone like uh, Joe Manchin in the states. He's a Democrat and some Democrats will say you're not Democrat enough, but Joe Manchin would not align with any other party as much as he does with the Democrats. Exactly. And yet on some key issues, he comes out and says, hell no. And, and he's very vocal and he still gets elected by the people of West Virginia and he, you know, uh, still stays and caucuses with the, the Democratic party. I'd like yeah. to see more of that in our system.
1: I agree. I mean, again, I personally, I agree. I I think that a strong leader allows for dissent. There, there obviously has to be discussions within caucus. And first you have to try your best to make your point in caucus and try to win the day. And sometimes I win the day and sometimes I don't win the day. Right. And, but, but I think when you don't win the day, and it's an issue that's incredibly important to you, it shouldn't be every issue, but there's issues of fundamental importance to different MPs. And for me, obviously the issue of language rights from my constituents, the issue of anti-Semitism, um, the issue of support for Israel, these are fundamental issues to me. Um, and where I don't agree with my party, um, I feel that I, I have an ability to, to speak out and say, I, I don't agree. Um, I think that's what my constituents expect of me. I, I, I think that's why my constituents respect me, because I, I will do that.
0: So let, let, let's let talk about some of the divisions within the caucus, and then I want to talk about working across party lines. But, you know, uh, a lot of people have been outraged at a tweet that Melanie Jolie, one of your colleagues, cabinet minister in the government, someone who represents a Montreal riding, someone you know well, I presume have known well for a long time, she posted on October 17th about the hospital bombing. And uh, to my knowledge, it's still up. Uh, That is seen as a blood libel by many and hurtful you've got other uh, MPs within the liberal caucus who've made very strong statements uh, against Israel uh, that I have deep questions about. How, wh- what's it like working within the caucus? Cause I know that you have to work with minister Joe on issues like the UN vote. You have to make your case to her. How is it working with people who on certain issues are diametrically on the opposite side opposed to you?
1: So I think those are two different questions, because Melanie is not diametrically on the opposite side. So um, she is somebody I would call a friend, as she and I have been friends for, for years. Um, and she and I had a long conversation yesterday, for example, on, on the issue of uh, the ICJ uh, case by South Africa. Um, my ability, because I'm in caucus, because I'm part of, of the Liberal Party, uh, to speak to ministers, to, to push from my views, um, and those of my constituents are very important. Um, and, and, and I don't, and I think Melanie, like, um, all of our uh, ministers recognized that once, uh, Bill Blair had clarified that Israel didn't bomb the hospital, that Israel didn't bomb the hospital. And, and I think, I think that's, that, that's really clear. I, I don't think she, she is the type of person that would put out a, anything that is a blood libel. I think, I think that's, you know, that, that's something that's not in her character and, and Melanie is, you know, has, 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 a very good knowledge of the Jewish community. Um, where it comes to other members of caucus who want their views on, for example, Israel are diametrically opposite to mine. Um, I hope that we find ways to work together on other issues, but it doesn't mean that I won't vigorously disagree with them on Israel. I just try not to let it become personal um, because once we let it become personal, then we can't work together on other things that we might agree on. For example, bill 21 in Quebec that is largely a slap in the face to the Muslim community and discriminates against Muslim women who wear hijabs that can't teach in public school and and on that issue right our, my muslim colleagues and i are very much aligned mm-hmm. um, it, you know it's religious freedom um but 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 of course on this issue i do have colleagues who i am diametrically opposed to what they they believe on the middle east and you know and, and and it's something that i guess we all need to we all have challenges where in our workplaces we'll have certain colleagues who we don't agree with on things and and um you know and 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 in the same way that I work very closely with members of opposition parties um, who I may not agree with on other fundamental issues, I need, but, I, but I still respect them. I still work with them as colleagues and try to find bipartisan consensus on things. The same is true with, 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 with these colleagues who I may not agree with on Israel, but I may agree with on other things.
0: A great example of that was a news conference on the Hill a little while ago that you were a part of. And Erwin um, Kotler was asked a question. And he didn't answer it. Shuv Majumder walked across the room, took the microphone and gave a very strong answer. That was a news conference where you were speaking. Judy Scrow was speaking. Uh, Sh- uh, Shuv Majumder, as I mentioned, who's on the conservative side. I believe Michelle Rempel may have been there as well. Um, that, that, was a, that was a coming together. Um, and well,
1: that- Michelle and I went to Israel together, right? Michelle, Melissa, Marty, um, and Marco and I went to Israel together. You know, and we 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 were very much aligned in terms of the views that we expressed while we were there.
0: Um, I peel, I think peel again, the curtain back on that, then, because um, you know we've compared to years ago, people used to you know be fine with people being friendly in other parties, and the polarization in politics. People get shocked when they find out that. Uh, MPs or MPPs or counselors will have a laugh together. They'll go out to dinner together and have a meal. Um, They'll they'll say hello to each other. (laughs) You know, no, no, you're supposed to put them in a headlock and beat them until they surrender. Peel back the curtain on on what it's like cooperating with people in other parties, whether it's on this issue or other. I mean, specifically, I'd like to hear about this issue, but if you have other examples. No, of
1: course. I mean, I think ideally... You talk to each other. You are true with each other. You respect each other's differences, and you become friends. and And the friendly relationship is what enables you to work across the aisle the best. And there are some MPs that will not have friends or or or, or be colleagues uh, that are that are close with people in other parties. And most of us are. Um. And and you try your best to develop those relationships, and you genuinely make friendships. and I think that the people we went to Israel with are all genuinely friends we may have political disagreements and publicly um, you know, we may not always uh, agree on certain things, but I think the relationship while we were there was entirely harmonious and entirely friendly. And we sat together and we ate together and we, 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 we did things together and we, you know, we, 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 we took it very seriously. And, you know, and, and I think that like, I, I don't think she'd mind. I mean, when, when Michelle came to Montreal, this summer, we hung out together. I, I mean, like there there are genuine friendships there. And, 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 and I think too often people just look at question period in isolation, which is a very confrontational um, type of approach versus the committees where it's often more, more collegial and other parts of the parliamentary role where like Michelle Rempel and I um, and Brian Massey um, uh, are, are co-chairs of uh, with a couple of senators of, of an AI caucus that we started right? looking at how artificial intelligence is impacting, um, you know, Canada and how we should move forward as a country to to, to deal with legislation on AI. Um, like, that's huge. It's all stuff we're doing in addition to our other roles as MPs, but we got together across party lines to do that.
0: And, you know, when you've got a problem with uh, a file with your constituents, it helps to be able to go over and, uh, and talk to the minister or talk to a colleague and uh every mp has that regardless of party
1: 100% like that a minister needs to answer to every member of parliament whether they're in opposition or in government um and and of course when you're in the same party perhaps you have more of an influence more of a persuasion and you have caucus meetings where you're 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 debating and and discussing but throughout parliament every mp has power and the problem often is like i think again i feel that most mp's have been have been led down a path where they don't know all the powers they have. And and I think if MPs asserted themselves and all knew that they had these powers um, and didn't just agree blindly on things, but rather thought things through and, and insisted on, you know, putting forward their own views, we would have a more harmonious house of commons in the sense you would have much more work across party lines. And, and I think that would be the ideal. I think Canadians, most things, as you know, Brian, are not black and white. They're mostly gray. Most, most most complex issues are gray. And the more you have debate and dialogue and you get to a consensus that everybody can agree with, the more you're truly reflecting the views of all Canadians as opposed to taking a black or white approach.
0: Before we take a break and, and leave this issue, um, the larger issue, I, I just want to ask, on, on anti-Semitism, one of the things that early on, until maybe the last couple of weeks, has bothered me is – that there have been times when it seemed like the Prime Minister was slow to react to certain events, be it schools or businesses being harassed. And then when he did make a statement, he would always mention anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. But when he denounced Islamophobia, he was not mentioning anti-Semitism every time. Is there a weak spot, a blind spot with either the Prime Minister or the PMO, um are people trying to be too sensitive? What's behind that? I, I'm not the only person that noticed that or, or has commented on it. So what's behind it?
1: So so a couple of things. I, I think there's many legitimate criticisms of any politician, including me and including the prime minister. Um, I don't think the prime minister on anti-Semitism is, is somebody who really um should be thought of that way i, I think don't I don't really don't take for a
0: minute that i'm calling justin trudeau anti-semitic no, no, I, I, I have many disagreements that i'm public so. about with them but i've never made that that way no, no, but, but
1: I, I wasn't taking it like that way that way at all but i think what i was trying to do is say that since justin trudeau has been prime minister we have adopted the ira definition of anti-semitism anti-semitism has become one of the four pillars of the anti-racism strategy we have apologized for the Jewish refugee policy in the 1930s and the St. Louis. We've we've appointed the first um, a special envoy on anti-Semitism and Holocaust remembrance that was Erwin Kotler and is now Deborah Lyons. There is we we had the first national summit on anti-Semitism in 2021. There has actually been an excellent record of the government. While there's been some foibles, of course, like laith Maruf, the vast majority of the government positions and, and and work on anti-Semitism since 2015 has, has been exemplary and I've been an important part of that and I've been proud of it. Um, so while there are legitimate things to criticize uh, you know, the Prime Minister for, I don't think he's weak in any way on anti-Semitism. I think in his heart he is very, very strongly of the belief that Jewish Canadians are an incredibly important part of the fabric of this country and that there shouldn't be anti-Semitism here. Um, and I know that sometimes our community is, you know, Critical of the fact that he's slow on the draw to them uh, on some things, and and of course everybody also notices that you know sometimes it takes a long time to get a statement out. But in his heart, he is definitely somebody who is strongly uh, there for the Jewish community. That I, that I fundamentally believe. On the other issue that you raised, I think it's important to recognize that anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are two very bad mm-hmm. things. They're two very horrible racisms. Um, but I agree they shouldn't be lumped together in the same way that anti-Black racism and anti-gay racism um, shouldn't be lumped together. They're, they're not the same. They're two different tropes. They're two different issues. And people have a bad tendency of mingling anti-Semitism and Islamophobia in the same sentence every time when they are two completely different bad things that could happen. So, so they should be treated differently, but, but they should both be given importance. And, and I think too often people have the tendency to believe you have to say one whenever you say the other. And, and I don't think that's correct. They are two things that have different tropes and need to be treated seriously and importantly, but they're not the same.
0: All right. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about some of the work that, uh, some of the fight that you've been doing with the, the cat government in Quebec back in moments, Quebec is an interesting place. And if you haven't lived there and experienced that it can be difficult to understand, um, Anthony, I remember the first time I was covering Francois Legault, uh, he was a PQ minister under Lucien Bouchard, and I thought, this guy doesn't seem to belong in the, the PQ, he, he seems like a business guy, he doesn't seem to be anti-English, he speaks English fluently, beautifully, and, uh, and then he left the PQ, and I thought, okay, that makes sense, and then he started the CAC, and, or took over his leader, the CAC, and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a softening. He's become very hardline, and you've had to fight against it on everything from universities to municipal services, um, taking away the rights of, of people in historic English communities, whether it's in Montreal or a place like Lenoxville, from being able to get your tax bill in, in English, something that they've always been able to do. Uh, what's driving this? Because, you know, unless I I had a complete misread of Legault all those years ago, and I've covered him since, he's never seemed to be one of the hardliners to me. But is he just trying to appeal to hardliners to get votes? I mean, he's trailing in the polls to the PQ right now, so maybe that's it. What is behind it in your view?
1: Just, just let me correct one thing. Nothing, nothing. Now, um, with despite the horrible um, Bill ninety six, which was uh, a terrible uh, revision of Quebec's language laws, uh, there is nothing in there that changed the bilingual tax bill or the ability of Lenoxville or other bilingual municipalities to to deliver a bilingual tax bill. Uh, bilingual municipalities. The issue was they originally tried to propose that they could take away the status of bilingual oh, okay. municipalities, um, and that got, and that got removed from the bill. It's still the municipal council can it's up to the municipal council. They have to adopt a resolution saying they want to retain their status and then they retain it. Um, but coming back to the issue, I think Legault is a very, very smart man. I think he's handled some things like COVID very well. Um, he, he presents a very reassuring presence. But on the issues related to minorities, including minority language rights, um, I think that there's been a real blind spot in the Cat government. Um, if, if I were cynical, I'd say there was a real attempt to you know, create divisions in Quebec society to push nationalists to vote for the CAC instead of for the PQ or other parties uh, that are separatist, like Quebec Solidaire. Um, and, and, and at the very least, there's a lack of understanding of any of the needs of the minority communities or their very real desire for their rights to be respected. And one, and one after another, Bill 21, Bill 40, Bill 96, each of these would take away important rights of minorities in Quebec in um, two of them, he used the notwithstanding clause, or the government, the, 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 the parliament, the National Assembly, used the notwithstanding clause preemptively. Uh, I don't think the notwithstanding clause should be in the charter, but if it is there, I don't believe it is allowed to be used preemptively in that way. Um, and I know that's being challenged before the courts. Um, but it's, it, 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 it's a very, very sad reality that on two very important laws, one dealing with religious freedoms and one dealing with language rights, that Quebec has used. The, the biggest stick it can before a court can even rule on it. Um, and, and, and it's, it's been very difficult for minorities in Quebec to, to understand, because right, if you remember Brian, 20 years ago, our big fear was Quebec separation. Our big fear was that one day our province would try to separate from our country. Um, and, and he has created a situation where the CAC is not trying to do that, at least not overtly um, they're, they're, they're staying within Canada but then they're taking away our our rights in, in the same way the PQ used to, from uh, from a perspective of language, from a perspective of uh, of, of culture.
0: So, in the same way Robert Barrasso, the Quebec Liberals, did as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's yes. there's no one with clean hands in that National Assembly when it comes to to English minority rights, especially, but others as well.
1: A hundred percent. But I think you're, what what I mean is when it came to separation you had a very substantial group of the Francophone population in Quebec that allied with the English-speaking minority and the, and the non-Francophones to, to be against separation. Yeah. Whereas on issues that just come up with English language rights, we do not have a large percentage of Franc-speaking Quebecers that have allied with us, at least not publicly. And so we sort of realized that we don't have as large a group of people um, in Quebec Uh, that support us on important issues as we we thought we did.
0: So so you fought this, um, you know, when you were with Alliance Quebec years ago, Uh, you fought it in in federal parliament. And I I mentioned that, you know, all the parties in the Quebec legislature are bad on English language rights. I would argue that all the parties uh, in parliament are bad. It used to be the liberals were federal liberals, we're stalwarts on this um, under Stephen Harper. They tried a little bit to make uh, um, uh, overtures to the, you know, uh, Montreal English community. And they got shut down and they stopped. And so now the conservatives don't care about it. But it was a shock to me for the federal liberals to say, you know what? The, the charter of the French language deserves some federal. Um, how, how How would you describe it? What happened with the language bill earlier and and how did the Liberals end up reversing decades of um, their position?
1: So so first off, I think that it is important to recognize that the Liberal Party still has a vastly better position on English-speaking Quebecers than the other parties. The Conservative Party's position, as articulated at the Language Committee, was identical to that of the Bloc Québécois. They both came forward with identical amendments that were drafted by the Quebec government Um, that would have essentially made the Quebec law uh, apply federally. Uh, And that was not the liberal position. When I had problems with the draft of the bill, which had referenced Quebec's Charter of the French language amongst other laws across the country, and I was against it for a number of reasons that I articulated at the language committee, one of them being that Quebec law is used the notwithstanding clause preemptively. Another is that it's horrendous to reference a Quebec law that takes away rights of the English-speaking minority in a federal law that's supposed to protect that minority um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I had I drafted amendments that the prime minister himself agreed to. The prime minister said, we agree with those amendments to remove the references to the Charter of the French language. And, and, and the liberals at the committee all voted in favor of my amendments. We, we voted to remove the references to the Charter of the French language from the bill. But the conservatives, the bloc and the NDP voted against us. And so the references remained, which then led me to be the only one voting against the bill at the end. Um, but but the Liberal position was to remove those references. And, 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 and I would say on the action plan, the Liberal Party and the action plan that we've done for official language minorities has increased substantially. The money is going to English-speaking Quebec. Um, so, and, and, and we're against the preemptive use and notwithstanding clause where the other parties are in favor of it.
0: I just can't imagine Jean Chrétien allowing that vote to happen. Having a, I don't think Jean Chrétien would have had a single Liberal MP vote in favor of that.
1: Well, I mean, I think what you're saying is that Jean Chrétien in the original draft of the bill wouldn't have included it. Um, and and that, you know, historically, that may, may well be right. I wasn't there when Jean Chrétien was there. Um, and again, I could say that I had to vote against a bill that was very important. And I was very upset about having to do that. Um, because there were many things in that bill that were important for English speaking Quebecers and French speakers outside Quebec, as well as French language across Canada. But I, I I did feel that the English speaking community was being badly served by that bill, and 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 I agree that I was unhappy with the position my party took in the end on the bill, um, which is why I voted against it. But but again, at committee we voted to remove the bad references, and 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 the other parties made the bill much worse. Um, and and that wasn't the Liberals. The the, the, the again, I would say if you ask me, I would rank the Liberals.
0: And I I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but you know, let me ask you this way maybe: Is there a pressure due to the you know success until recently of uh, François Legault and, and CAC? Uh, you know, his polling numbers have dipped. Uh, but is there pressure to go softer than what the Liberals traditionally would have gone with in the past to try and appeal? Because the Liberals are doing; they're still your party's still doing pretty well in Quebec. Uh, Do you have to appeal to that soft nationalist that would support uh, some of these moves that that Legault is pushing or, you know?
1: I I mean, I think the goal is to try to collaborate with the Quebec government where we can, but to speak out against their policies where fundamentally we disagree with them. Um, Again, you have different views in the Liberal caucus. We have a diverse caucus, uh, different people that come from different ridings that have different compositions. Um, and our Quebec caucus actually, as a group, I think works together very well. It, it's it's one of the my, my one of my favorite parts of the Liberal Party is the Quebec caucus meetings, which I believe are always very open, very direct. Uh, views are expressed. They're always kept confidential, and 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 I feel very comfortable with my Quebec colleagues. Um, I think there is all of our colleagues have a respect for the English speaking minority in Quebec. That is for sure. Um, and, and want to protect its rights. We, we may, you know, we may disagree on some, you know, some parts of that, but I think overall that is a place I'm very comfortable within the liberal party that English speaking rights in Quebec and French speaking rights outside Quebec are still a core composition of our DNA.
0: My frustration over years, uh, has been that this becomes highly politicized though. Um, and, and it becomes situational, um, For various politicians of, of all stripes. Mm -hmm. And, and I think of, you know, what's happening with the attempt to financially squeeze Quebec universities. I'd like to see the federal government take a stronger stance on that. I don't think that they have. I know you have and some of your colleagues have, and I applaud you for that. Uh, but when, you know, Premier Ford in Ontario said, we're going to pause a French university that hadn't been started yet at the same time as he was pausing three English universities that hadn't been started yet because it was like, well, we don't have the money right now. So this is on pause. The federal liberals held rallies. Melanie Jolie, Lee, you know, spoke at a rally denouncing the attack on the, the, the Francophone community. I haven't seen that same sort of thing. And, and that's, it, it's not just the liberal party, but that's where you sit and where you're, you're, you're a member. It it, it frustrates me. But
1: but, but let's note,
0: right, you have a
1: number of liberal MPs who have expressed their opposition to this CAC policy. You haven't had anyone from any other party that has done so, right? And and you've had cabinet ministers that have expressed their opposition to this CAC policy. And I can assure you that I am uh, working with colleagues like Anna Ganey, who's taken a real leadership role on this one, uh, to try to find a way that our federal government can do something. Um, You know, Randy Boissoneau is the language minister and we're talking to him and, and, and and I do think there has to be some way that we should help the English universities in Quebec um, and English CEGEPs like Dawson that got monies removed uh, for an expansion. Um, So, so that is definitely something that we are working on. Uh, I I am not going to give up on that.
0: Let's talk about what the policy is then to help people understand. Um, This is, you know, I think most people would be shocked that right now uh, if you go to an English speaking university in Quebec and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the current policy is you pay a higher tuition rate and some of that money, you know, if you're an out of province student, you pay a higher tuition rate at an English university and some of that money goes to French universities that you're not attending. And now they're going to just increase the tuition, um, disparity and give more money to French universities.
1: Do I have it right? No, I think it's more, I would say it this way. Uh, There's a, just in Quebec, if you're a local student, English or French, you pay a lesser amount. Uh, Then you have a rate that they've negotiated with France and Belgium um, that they pay the same rate as local students. So, and so if you, whether you're going from France or Belgium to an English or a French university, you're paying a a, a Quebec rate. Um, And then they have a rate for, Canadians out of province, and then they have a rate for everybody else. Um, The Canadian out of province rate right now is roughly equivalent, maybe slightly higher, but roughly equivalent to what you'd pay to go to a university like Western or York or or U of T uh, in Ontario. Um, Quebec had proposed initially to more than double the rate you would pay if you were an out of province student to go to an English university. Um, The universities, of course, and us, and we rebelled and said, this is horrible, horrible, bad for Montreal, bad for... Bad for our community, bad for our institutions, but bad for everybody. Um, and then the CAC and the universities gave a counter proposal to say that they would try to deal with Quebec's claim that they were anglicizing Montreal by having these students, uh, become more proficient in French. Um, and then Quebec came out with what they say is their final, um, proposal where the out of province rate would now be roughly three or four thousand dollars more than it is today. So it would go from about 8,000 to about 12,000 if I have it right. But after um, graduation, 80% of the students coming from out of province would have to meet a threshold in French, failing which the university would pay a penalty. Um, and, and again, the universities have said that this is, you know, a very problematic, disastrous. They found monies from their own internal sums to give to out-of-province students to stop the hemorrhage but there needs to be a whole-scale look at this because it, it doesn't make any sense.
0: It's um, most of the students that I know that went to Montreal for university, if they're not perfectly bilingual, they, they, they have a proficiency, a great proficiency in French by the time they leave. And their presence in Montreal, you know, in my experience, greatly enriches the city. So I think this is a foolish policy from start to finish.
1: Well, exactly. It solves a non-existing problem, right? The, ra- the, the problem they're claiming is that these students are somehow anglicizing downtown Montreal. There's been no scientific evidence of that. There's been no demography that, uh, report that proves that or shows that. And, and it's one of two things. Either these students are there for three years and leave and have no effect except tran- in a transient way on downtown Montreal, or they stay and add to Quebec and Montreal society and become bilingual. And 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 mean that there are more English speaking Canadians who are bilingual to make it more of a bilingual country. So so I, I don't understand at all the rationale for this. Um and, and I think it's incredibly disappointing.
0: Anthony, you've been very gracious with your time. I'll I'll leave you with, with one last question. Um Are you still comfortable in the party you sit in and are you gonna be staying in it? Uh hopefully staying in it, or or, or you know, you're still a liberal?
1: I am still a liberal, uh, the, the, right, again, what, what, I, what I believe in is we have two parties in Canada, the Liberals and the Conservatives, that can form power, that, that will hold power alternatively. And if I have certain beliefs, it's important for me that I advocate those beliefs in, 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 in my party. Otherwise, if I abandon a party because I don't agree with certain things in it, first of all, there's no party that I agree with everything in. And if I leave a party because I don't agree with certain things in it, then my voice and people who think like me are no longer present in the party, meaning that there's far less chance that when that party is in power, that the views that we care about are going to be the ones that the party will advance. So, so like for me, I've always said that we need strong Jewish Canadian representation in both major parties. If you don't have any pro-Israel voices or voices that are fighting anti-Semitism in one of the two parties, we're, we're lost. So, so in any case, um, you know, I, I think for the moment, I, 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 I accept the fact that I may not always agree with my party, but I usually agree. And I guess that's enough for me.
0: All right, Anthony, thanks for the time. Thanks for the conversation. It's been fascinating.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great day.
0: The Full Comment is a post media podcast. My name is Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libben is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Listen through the app, your alexa enabled devices, and you can help us out by giving us a rating, leaving a review, and of course, telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.